0: Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet.
1: In India, I met farmers whose crops have been literally washed away by historic flooding. In America, I've witnessed unprecedented droughts in California, in Greenland, and in the Arctic. I was astonished to see that ancient glaciers are rapidly disappearing well ahead of scientific predictions. All that I've seen and learned on my journey has absolutely terrified me.
0: So the question now is whether we will have the courage to act before it's too late. And how we answer will have a profound impact on the world that we leave behind, not just to you, but to your children and to your grandchildren. As a president,
1: as a father,
0: and as an American, I'm here to say we need to act.
1: We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard.
0: It's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. Hey,
1: it's Jesse. Jesse, oh no, where's Angie again? <laughs> uh, you know how she likes to take her holidays. I know. She, uh, she just told me she's like,
0: man, you're, he's too good. You just, just have Jesse and, and, and uh, no, she, she's uh, away this week again. It's summertime up there in, in the great north, I guess, of the U.S. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah, summertime. Yeah, there was, there was snow on the mountain just outside of town this morning. I wasn't really, really delighted to see that. (laughs)
0: It's cold here. It is cold here. (laughs) And so she's on holiday again and she'll be back next week. Uh, when we do our new species, but you know, Jesse was kind enough to step in again, and it's, it's great to have it's you. It's a pleasure to be here, yeah. thank you. Yeah, everyone. no, it's great to have you. Uh... I'm
1: glad I passed the interview. Oh, yeah, of course. Jeez, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Angie's worried you're gonna replace one of us, or we'll just do a do a three way show sometimes. That, that's actually a good idea. We'll have to bring you in for like giraffes and stuff, some, some of these species that you've worked Oh, with. that'd be fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, the week in news, you know, a lot mm. of different stuff that, you know, you and I all week have been kind of going back and forth on. Yep, yep. But I really wanted to, to open with a, with a feel-good story, and this species is is on our radar. Angie and I actually have some things in the works trying to secure a big interview before we, we cover them, but that's the mountain gorilla.
1: And oh, that's right.
0: Yeah, yeah, amazing. I, uh, I cannot wait one of these days to get out there to Central Africa and go on these tours and see these things in the wild. Like, just, I it cannot wait. It would be wait. a real
1: highlight, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. Like like Aaron Curry, she's one of the interviews we did with the polar bear research. She <laughs> actually went, her her fiancé, soon-to-be husband, is a gorilla expert, and so he took her out oh, there. Right. I think he pr- he proposed, I think, out there in, in the Oh, jungle. that's bold. <laughs>
1: yeah, next to the gorillas.
0: <laughs> But uh, yeah, they uh, she had some pictures. i was so jealous, so jealous. So, anyways, the good news the this week coming out of the Guardian and the headline is Mountain gorilla population rises above 1,000.
1: Whoa!
0: So, so it's good news. Yeah, it's good big news. It awesome. Yeah. So the and the sub headline is new total represents an increase of 25% since 2010 in its Central African heartland where they're at. So. Wow. Just to sum this up, the mountain gorilla populations are increasing, and this is the only large primate where the populations are increasing, which is good news, which is good news. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, just because I can't really jump into the whole species thing, but just to kind of tell the listeners about, you know, the the plight of the gorillas, because I remember reading a research paper, oh, geez, this is, you know, seven years ago, probably. Looking mm-hmm. at gorilla populations, and it was really interesting because I, you know, again, I didn't know. I, I thought you know the, the, all the gorillas were like desperately endangered, very few left, and that's actually yeah. not. Well,
1: that's the story we've been told.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's not completely true. Now they're all critically endangered, so that's not good, right? I mean, it, no, it, it's not, not good. All. But there's really two major species of gorilla: the western gorilla and the eastern gorilla so the Western gorilla there's still a population of a couple hundred thousand, which is good okay that's good, but they're still that's critically in, yep. yeah but they're still critically endangered because they've suffered an eighty percent population reduction in three generations, which is insane
1: like that's drastic yes yes so Very that's drastic. why they're
0: classified as critically endangered so they're wow. they're in trouble right mm-hmm. the mountain gorilla so this is part of the eastern gorilla family. These are the ones that just a few years ago the number was like seven, eight hundred, and so to see a population of a thousand, that's really good news. That's really good yeah, news. that's
1: a great benchmark. Yeah,
0: yeah. That the conservation efforts are working. You know, this is they live in Uganda. It's you know highly contentious area of the planet, and you know I know once we cover gorillas we'll go more into them, but you know yeah. some just just to start off with some good news that the gorillas are kind of rebounding a little bit. I mean, still have quite a bit of poaching problems with them, but, mm. you know, it's good. It's good.
1: Yeah, it certainly doesn't come without a cost. I, I know I've read a little bit into it in the National Park Virungo, which is one of the places where mountain gorillas can be found. I believe mm. it's 160 rangers have lost their lives over the years protecting not just the gorillas, yeah. but the entire park. So uh, yeah. while this is great news, it's it certainly it's important to recognize the cost that it's come at and oh, yeah. how much investment uh, the local people themselves have have put into this, and, yeah. and to, to see this uh, coming forward and because most wildlife populations are declining right now, and so to see mm-hmm. something improving it's it's really great to see,
0: yeah, yeah, you know, and kind of a an umbrella species for that region too, oh, so, so iconic you know, yeah 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 i'm sure there's some some other species benefiting from. The work there, and you're right. Like I just, there was a story in April where six of the guards that were guarding the mm. mountain gorillas were killed. You know, yeah, yeah. so these poachers are pretty sophisticated, and you know the anti-poaching people are very sophisticated too. And luckily, they're getting more funding. But mm. yeah, yeah. So it's actually good news. So we just got to keep our eye on it and and see how this goes. And then, for sure, when we cover the gorilla, you know, the next. I would say within the next two months for sure, it will be one of oh, the, right. the episodes we release. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's that, that close. We just, yeah, it's got to secure this interview we're hoping to get. So oh, cool. with somebody, somebody big, hopefully. So <laughs> <laughs> Angie, if you're listening, keep working.
1: <laughs> so. Well, Chris, I've also got a little bit of news I found about mm-hmm. counting animals. Um, yeah. and so this is kind of along the same lines of what they've seen with the mountain gorillas. In order to identify how many of these animals we have, you've got to do surveys. And mm-hmm. the ability to, su- to do surveys and the techniques that are being used keep getting more sophisticated over time. Well, one of the easiest ways to survey animals um, is through camera traps, which is basically motion sensor cameras. Mm-hmm. And so you come up with a grid of an area and you put out these camera traps strategically. And you just let them out there for a period of time and then collect all of this uh, film, this footage back. And then the hard part comes in which you have to sit in front of a computer for hours, right. yeah. going through yes. every single bit of footage and counting animals. Um, yes, yes, so this is an easier way because you don't have to be in the field as long, and you have something out there monitoring mm-hmm. long term. And a lot of scientists have actually gotten a lot of great data off out, out of this. Um, not only um, seeing encouraging signs of increased populations, but finding species mm-hmm. they didn't know existed in certain areas. Um, so, one mm-hmm. of these new mm-hmm. techniques is actually taking artificial intelligence. And letting it review the footage. Um, so one of the data sets they, they tested this with um, was out of Serengeti National Park. Uh, they have over 200 camera traps set up, and they've been out there since 2011. So they've been collecting data for seven years now. Um, originally, it took two to three months for volunteers, so citizen uh, scientists, people at home. Uh, they've got software where you can set up and look through all the pictures, and you can identify them yourself. Um, so it took two to three months for these volunteers to identify and label six months worth of images from this data set. Now, what they did is they took um, seven years worth of data and gave it mm-hmm. to this AI system that they had trained and given it algorithms. It took the AI system just a few hours to go through 3.2 million images. Wow. And it was just as accurate wow. as humans. And to give you an idea of the scale, um, <laughs> this approach that they took saved 17,000 people work hours. So it would have taken wow. over 17,000 hours for someone to go through all of this information, <laughs> and it took just a few hours for the AI system. To give you even more perspective, the average person who works a 40-hour week works just over 2,000 hours a year. So if it took 17,000 hours to look at all this data and the average person works 2,000, that's a lot of effort. And so this new technology is making the ability to uh, count animals and to monitor animals so much more efficient. And The fact that we'll be probably getting more news, just like the mountain gorillas, uh, because we're getting this information back and it's being processed so quickly.
0: Yeah, that's crazy I mean that's Isn't it? Um, yeah. it brings it brings up a lot like oh are, is AI gonna replace us but yeah so
1: indeed <laughs> you, know, you know who
0: knows where we'll be in 100 years yeah I mean it's interesting because you were talking about that and it, it triggered something I remember before mm-hmm. I moved to New Zealand moved down here you know Angie and I were actually talking to a researcher who was doing chinchilla trap studies okay and so like her she just asked me and Angie about behavior and some of the work we did at, at UF and yeah. So she was doing camera traps of yeah, chinchilla I think in in Argentina is where the yeah, traps yeah. were. Yeah,
1: which by the way are are on the endangered species list. They, they yeah. are highly endangered yeah. despite being found throughout the pet trade. Yeah, Wild yeah. chinchillas are very endangered animals. Yeah. So this is yeah. actually pretty big important work.
0: Yeah. Yeah, what she was doing it was it was pretty crazy. But then it brought me brought me back to the gorillas because I remember reading that study. I was like, well, one of the questions I had was how do they Identify two hundred thousand gorillas. Yeah, how do they do these estimates? And yeah. from what I remember of the study, was they would go and, and count nesting sites, you know, where they mm-hmm. would build beds or look at feces and things like that to get an an okay estimate. But you're right; these camera traps uh, are much more efficient now. You have an AI system. My God, that's awesome!
1: Yeah, yeah, that's really those awesome. of the amount of information we're going to receive in just a short period of time. Uh, yeah, that's some of the a lot of money for conservation actually goes into just counting animals because that's mm-hmm. a very basic thing that has to be done. But it costs so much money because all the time spent in the field that someone's got to survey these animals. And so if we can reduce the amount of money it takes to actually survey these animals, we could put a lot of that money into actually preserving land, restoring land, uh, reintroducing animals into the wild, um, right. rather than just counting them all the time. So yeah, this is really, really big news. Well,
0: and and just to add another thing too, our here in New Zealand, Goja, our friend, mm. she's Canadian, so shout out to Goja if, if she's listening. <laughs> she also works for the New Zealand government and so she <laughs> was looking at doing research in AI that could actually identify behaviors Ooh. and she's doing she's doing goats, like that's her big thing is goat yeah, behavior yeah. and goat welfare. Mm-hmm. And so she's trying to work with a computer guy in Australia to design this AI system that could actually identify unique behaviors, which is crazy. Yeah. You know?
1: Well, that's actually, uh, with <laughs> with this piece of news that came out about this AI, it actually showed a picture of um, the computer data coming up. And it actually shows mm-hmm. a picture of two zebras. And it's got the mm-hmm. identif- identification of the zebra. It's got the count, and then it's got what it calls additional attributes. And under this, it says standing, not resting, not moving, yeah. not eating, not interacting, yeah. babies. So it's it's already trying to get the AI uh, algorithms to consider all of these things and pick it up so that That's they crazy. all this processing that they're doing, um, they can use that data for something else later. So, yeah, it's, it's yeah. definitely already happening, and it could be further enhanced for sure.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I can't even begin to understand how it does oh, it. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> 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 I understand biology. I understand animal behavior. I don't understand computer stuff like that. No. So, no, that's good news. That's good news. Well, uh, not to be the party pooper uh, for the listeners, but this week, you know, and I only bring this story up because we just got to stay vigilant, and it's just kind of a reminder to the listeners that we all need to do our part but coming out of Thailand, the, and, and hopefully you know, a lot of people heard about this, but there was a pilot whale that was just kind of floundering off the coast. Mm. And people you know saw this whale in distress, and so they went and brought him in, and it eventually died. So they weren't able to, to save this whale. It, it okay. was seriously sick. And despite, yeah, veterinarians and everything, they just couldn't do mm. anything for it. So, what they did on the on the necropsy is they pulled out eighty plastic bags from its stomach, and it just yeah, it was its body was just full of plastic garbage that it had been eating in the ocean. And I know Angie and I brought it up in a a few pods ago where we talked about the sperm whale off Spain that I think it had like sixty or seventy kilograms or uh, maybe as just pounds in its stomach. And it's so, <laughs> yeah, they're finding – yeah, yeah. So these whales, you know, mammals, pretty intelligent, mm-hmm. are eating, you know, this plastic, thinking it's it's part of their diet or Oh, prey. yeah, plastic
1: bags floating in and the water. It's just like squid.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so, so – different Or jellyfish, yeah. You know, my question is, how many of these whales do we never see? You know, how many of these fish, turtles, birds that – you know, are ingesting this plastic, and they die, and we just don't don't see it ever, you know. So, totally. again, it's just kind of a reminder to the listeners, you know, we need to, you know, reduce our plastic use and avoid it at all costs, and then when you do use it, try to recycle it. Um, and I know, you know, the U.S., other countries maybe aren't the problem, but we are the, the global leaders in a lot of things, and so... When the public demands it, you know, like you're seeing no straws here in New Zealand now. Yep. You know, you, you go to our McDonald's and they're like, well, we're only going to give you straw if you ask. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of different countries are going, you know, straw free or plastic free, things like that. So I think when it starts in the United States, in the Europe, and Australia, New Zealand, those countries of the world, it will trickle down to other countries.
1: Oh, totally. You
0: know, be- yeah, because we can invest in, you know, biodegradable plastics. Like last week we we brought up the biodegradable six-pack ring yep, that they're developing yep. for a beer company in Florida. So, you know, we push innovation and so if the consumer demands it, the businesses are going to listen and follow suit and then the rest of the world hopefully will follow suit. Yep, so It's just
1: a domino effect and it all starts with just one person changing their behavior.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like how was it New Caledonia? I mean, what was it I know you were just there a few weeks ago. So insight into a a small island nation.
1: Um, Well, because it's a small island nation, they're actually a territory of France. So technically I went to the country of France. Uh, They're not their own separate country. And they're still behind a bit because they're working so hard. Many of those people there are still working towards independence Mm
0: -hmm. and and
1: gaining that that ability to to be their own country. Uh, But even there, uh, plastic bags, because a lot of their – um, local industries rely on the reef. Um, the reef mm-hmm. around New Caledonia is the second largest in the world, just behind the Great Barrier Reef, just across the sea from them. And there's a huge fishery there in New Caledonia. There's a lot of tourism based off the reefs there. And so they are making uh, some effort uh, to get rid of their um, single-use plastics. I know walking okay. around, uh, traveling through the country, a lot of people had giant reusable bags that they got from the grocery store. Uh, mm-hmm. There were very mm-hmm. few people walking around with just those single-use bags that you normally get. Um, so they're already making those changes, and they're a small country because they realize the impact they have. Um, here in New Zealand, right. it seems like every other day there's a bit in the news about some company going plastic-free or changing the type of plastics they use. Because uh, when it mm-hmm. comes to our wildlife, we're probably the center for diversity of not just marine mammals, but uh marine birds as well. And mm-hmm. even though this pilot whale had all of these bags inside of it, what we didn't see was all the little tiny pieces of plastic. Because as the plastic degrades in the environment, it just turns into smaller and smaller right. pieces. And every fish that you and I yeah. eat actually has bits of plastic inside of it too that we're probably consuming as well.
0: I know. Ugh. It's just going right know, back into the I food know. chain,
1: and it's just going to keep moving around. Yeah, I know. And that stuff never disappears. All these chemicals yeah. just.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's got to change. It's got to change. And and yeah, it's just, I would, I can't wait to get back to the States and see, you know, where we are in the plastic mm. fight, because it just seems like since I've left, it's gotten bigger and bigger. And I, and, you know, I just don't know if, if that's just because it's a big deal here in New Zealand and elsewhere in the world, or is it just everywhere? Like it's, people are finally waking up. So maybe the listeners can, can let us know because, it just it, it's such a huge problem for the ocean health. It's just yeah. so huge. Yeah, I, and I've got a really cool story coming up that I cannot wait to, to talk to you about. But what was something else that, that you found this week that was kind of a hot topic?
1: Uh, well, given I live here in New Zealand with you, a very big mm-hmm. topic uh, with the New, Ze- New Zealand news was the increase on hut tickets for international tourists. Now, a little mm-hmm. bit of context to that. Um, a hut in New Zealand is basically what it sounds like. It's a hut in the middle of the woods. It's maintained and generally built by the Department of Conservation, which manages all of the uh, conservation public lands in New Zealand. And just as you would go camping uh, with a tent and with your sleeping bag in New Zealand, because we have such this big hut culture, uh, you don't need a tent. You just put your bag together, you go out into the bush, and you just find yourself sleeping in a hut because there's bunks and there's, um, places mm-hmm. to store, um, prepare your food. And it's just a nice little backcountry culture that happens here. Um, because it's such a part of our culture, tourism that come here want to experience that too. And it's very, very cheap. A uh, typical hut costs 10 or $5 a night. Um, for the really, really uh, popular huts, it can be as high as 40 $50 a night. And there's mm-hmm. some really popular trails or what we call tracks here in New Zealand um, that are constantly packed during the summer. And so now for some mm-hmm. of these international tourists, these hut prices are going to cost $140 a night on the most popular tracks. This is the same wow. price as a probably moderate to nice hotel room. Um, and these people are mm-hmm. paying to sleep out in a hut that has um, right. some <laughs> solar powered lights that has a wooden bunk that you put your sleeping bag on. And it's essentially, Mm -hmm. it's it's someplace that's inside and insulated. So if it's wet and cold outside, you can be warm and dry inside. Uh, But this also brings up a bit of a a controversy because Kiwis don't like paying for what they think are are public um, provisions, uh, things that they feel entitled to. Um, But at the same time, the Department of Conservation is struggling to to maintain all of these um, backcountry tourist facilities. So some number figures Mm -hmm. in the financial year 2015-2016, the Department of Conservation, we call them DOC for short, spent $143 million to manage tourism on their properties. Uh, They Mm -hmm. only received $33 Mm -hmm. million in revenue from tourism. Um, So a lot of this funding that they're receiving from the central government, that should be going towards... Uh, maintaining the land, maintaining the wildlife, improving conservation um, mm. initiatives, is actually going straight into tourism because DOC is struggling to keep up with the demand. Over the last 10 years, the increase in tourists visiting these national parks and other places is increasing 10% each year. Um, essentially, in the last five years, right. the number of tourists to uh, some of our best national parks like Fjordland and Tongariro and Abel Tasman has doubled. And they're predicted to double again in the next six years. And essentially, DOC is struggling Mm -hmm. on how to take care of this. So some of the things they're considering is, do they put a levy on every international tourist coming to the country at the border? Do they charge uh, parking Mm -hmm. fees at all the car parks at the parks? Is there an entry fee? I know in the U.S. and in Australia and many other countries, they, they charge an entry fee to get into their national parks. Uh, do they limit the number of visitors mm. that come into the park? So they're going to say, all right, on this track, there's only 2,000 people a day. Once we've hit that number, that's it. So no one else can come in. Um So these are the, some of the things they're throwing right, up into right. the air. Uh The hardest part about doing all of this is that the New Zealand government is really good about strategy and about planning and about saying, okay, this is what we predict, so this is where we're going to put our investment into it. But here's the other thing is that tourist, mm. um, Generally, they'll put a lot of plans into getting here, but once they get here, they'd like to be flexible. And everybody wants to get that perfect picture. They want to go to that right. perfect scenery. And so what's right. happened yeah. is they call yeah. it the Instagram effect, which I'm sure it happens everywhere else in the world, where a single mm-hmm. Instagram photo that's put online and becomes viral can suddenly drive thousands of people to go visit a brand new location that lacks any facilities that lacks any ability to handle large numbers mm-hmm. of cars or any large number of tourists. And this has happened in a location called Roy's peak mm-hmm, down on mm-hmm. the South Island. Um, it's this very steep uh, two hour climb up to the top of this mountain Ridge. And then when you get up there, you basically have this large mountainous view with this giant Lake and it makes this perfect Instagram photo that everybody likes to take. I had a chance to go up there two years ago. Uh, right, it was right, a yeah. very strenuous hike, but when I got up there, man, the view was beautiful, but I waited 20 minutes to get a picture. Yeah. On, on the, um, heaviest oh, days of visitors, somebody can wait, can expect to wait at least an hour or more to stand in line to get their picture on this ridge line oh. that shows that they're in this unspoiled wilderness when oh, in fact geez. there's a hundred people right behind them waiting yep. in line for this picture. Yep. And this happens all the time in <laughs> New Zealand. Someone takes this great <laughs> yeah. Instagram photo. And then suddenly everybody shifts over to that place to get that same exact photo. And it's nuts how fast it works.
0: Yeah. And it's just, I mean, living here too, it's, I mean, it is an industrialized nation, but it's just, you know, there's only four and a half million people here and it's a huge country. You know, it's about the size of the East coast of the United States, right? Mm -hmm. Between the North and South Island. So but we don't have the the facilities, the road network. I mean, there's no highways. I mean, they're building one now. And when you get to Auckland, there there's some some re, res, there's some semblance of a highway. But yeah, it's not you know, like we other go places. out.
1: Yeah. No, no, no.
0: You know, and you're from the state, so you know. You know, we go out to Raglan, and then we're going along the coast, and it's this windy little tiny dirt road. Mm-hmm. So. You know, and I, and I sh- actually share that picture. I think I'm going to share it again on Instagram. I, I shared it on Facebook. <laughs> but from, you know, looking out at the ocean, beautiful view. But, yeah, there's no way. It, the, the car park could park 12 cars. That was yeah, it. Yeah.
1: That's all it's built to so, handle.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, New Zealand, I mean, please come visit. It's a beautiful country. It's amazing. It's got to be on everybody's bucket list, but yeah, I could just imagine. Yeah, and
1: right now, the country as a whole, not everybody that comes to New Zealand goes to the national parks, but there's about 4.5 million people in New Zealand. Over a million people visit as tourists every year. That's about 25% of the entire country is increased um, just from tourists alone, and they're looking at seeing that double in the next five to ten years, yeah, to almost where half, oh, yeah. almost oh, yeah. uh, well, actually, the if you do the math, a third of the people in New Zealand would technically be tourist in a given year's time. Yeah, uh, yeah, it is quite that's crazy, crazy if you think of it that way.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of too Yosemite because I when I was doing my masters degree mm-hmm. in central California, I was like an hour away, and so you we'd go to Yosemite mm-hmm. all the time. But it is like it's insane. You know, it's this most one of the most beautiful places yes. on earth, very picturesque. But it is bumper to bumper traffic. Every spot has thousands of people taking pictures. I can imagine it's just crazy now. And, you know, but I I think Yosemite was was starting, this was, you know, two decades ago almost, or 15 years ago. So I think they were limiting the amount of people coming into the parks.
1: Yeah, I know when when I was there, they had shuttles going through. So they forced people to park at a central location. If you wanted to go anywhere else, you had to go on the shuttle. And so that limited yeah. some of the cars but yeah this has a profound effect on the conservation uh, initiatives yeah. that these places are trying to to have yeah oh yeah
0: oh yeah i mean f- f- you know in the valley come on i mean wildlife no it's people are yep. everywhere you yep. know it's it's pretty crazy and then also you know just say you know supporting doc or you know, the parks and recreation and, and everything, fish and wildlife in the United States mm-hmm. and other countries, you should never feel bad about having to pay to, to go to a national park or support national parks because government funding, you know, those are one of the first things they start cutting, yep. you know, before they, they cut more important services. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah, we'll, we'll have to keep our eye on that and see what, see what happens of it.
1: Oh, totally. Yeah, it's certainly something that's, New Zealand's not immune to it and neither is any other country.
0: No, no, no. All right, Jesse, I am, how do I want to do this? I'm going to play you a sound. Okay. And then I want you, you to guess what it is. So let me set Ooh. it up for All you. Right. To play it one more time all right
1: i heard some birds in the background wow all right it kind of sounded mechanical it was like Buzzing sound, almost like some type of I don't know, weed eater, or was it was it a drone? I know drones have been a hot topic. No, that was a giraffe. It wasn't a drone. That was a giraffe. (laughs) A giraffe? No way. Giraffe? Now, have you not heard that?
0: You you were like with your okapi.
1: I've heard a lot of sounds come out of giraffes and okapi, but that's not a sound I've heard come out of them. Oh,
0: okay, okay, cool, okay. And even at the giraffes at, at the Hamilton Zoo, okay. So that is a giraffe humming. Wow! So this just came out this week. Uh, it was published on Nova, uh, the Nova website. So, and for all listeners, we put all these links on our show notes of the the news program for the week on the website, so you can go read these stories on your own, or you can listen to this this humming. But researchers have found that giraffes hum to each other throughout the night, and their zookeepers never noticed. <laughs> so I brought this up especially for you yeah. because in your interview you know again if you haven't listened to jesse's interview about okapi please do it, it's amazing and you know you were talking about the infrasound yes. and how the the baby would make a noise and the next thing you didn't even know it made the noise The next thing you know mom's right behind yeah his, all you all, all
1: all the only indication i would get is that the ear movement on the animal itself right right the, the way they moved their ears was atypical when when they had to have been producing a sound and yeah mom would be right there up the right. door
0: <laughs> like oh, hey he's okay mom yeah. I promise I right promise on cue. yeah yeah
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> so
0: they think giraffes like elephants produce infrasonic or ultra low sounds that are below our Ooh. range of hearing so you know you can set up sound equipment that it will pick up and then later you can amplify it and all these things so the university of vienna they they gathered 947 hours of giraffe noises over eight years. So talk about needing wow. some AI, right, to help
1: AI? <laughs> yeah. yeah, right there. That's, that's, that shows the need. Yeah.
0: Part. Oh, I couldn't even imagine. That's that's crazy. An eight-year study. And what they found was at night the giraffes they had this. It says it right here: harmonic and sustained humming that varied in frequency. Mm. So it was, uh, on average, 92 hertz, which is below our our really low side, or, or we can't hear it. So, they, and they knew, they, they don't understand the behavior yet, you know, they, they're they still researching this, I guess it's going to be a 20-year study, uh, you know, but wow, that's, they don't know what they're saying yet, but, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was kind of cool, that. like, I was just like, oh, I remember Jesse was talking about the okapis and things like that, so... Uh, thanks for playing along with the <laughs> drone.
1: No worries, no worries. You know, that 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 definitely blew my mind cuz yeah, there's different obviously all animals make different types of sounds mm-hmm. and there are certain animals that that are known for a particular sound, but even those animals have a different range. They they have different sounds for for different ways of communicating. Mm-hmm. So it would make sense. Mm-hmm that um, drafts have a lot more to say than what we think they have to oh, say. Oh yeah,
0: oh yeah. I mean, you know, it's like you said, hopefully maybe AI can can step in and, and help us understand some of these things better because...
1: They'll shorten that study down to a couple of years. Yeah,
0: I mean, but imagine the... <laughs> it, that's what's crazy about technology. Just imagine yeah. how much more we can do. So, you know, it's like we always think, oh, you know, the the world's a horrible place. We're going down the tubes, blah, blah, blah. We're actually making innovations left and right that I think are going to save our, our yeah. rears in the end, you know, hopefully, yeah. knock on wood. All right. Totally. So, yeah, there was no other big stories this week. There's some stuff on climate change. There was nothing else that, that kind of caught my eye, but I did find new species. Did you, what did you find this week? One of the new well, species? Well,
1: I, I cheated a bit. Okay. Um, so in some ways, this is a new species. In other ways, we've known about this animal for uh, over a hundred years. Mm-hmm. Um, what I, what I discovered, I'm, I'm a bird watcher, mm-hmm. uh, a bit like Angie, but I, I keep a life list mm-hmm. of all the animals I've seen, uh, just because I want to keep a record. I have a hard time remembering anyway. And so I spent a year in Australia and I, I traveled all over the country and I saw over 400 species of bird. And some of my favorite birds that I saw are called fairy wrens. Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't, most people haven't seen anyone before unless you're from Australia. They're these tiny little birds. They're not true wrens. But the males have some of the most beautiful plumage in the world. There's blues and purples and oranges and and reds, depending on the species. And so fairy wrens, I'm absolutely in love with. And I found out earlier this year that a species of fairy wren had been split. Hmm. They split it in half. Now, obviously, they didn't split the the fairy wren in, in half physically. But what happened is someone did a molecular analysis of the species because there's been a lot of debate on this particular species called the variegated fairy wren, Mm -hmm. in which there's several different subspecies. They've got a lot of variation, but no one's been able to pinpoint what exactly defines the species itself. And so someone took a chance and and did all this analysis and realized that all the variegated fairy wrens along the East Coast, so east of the Long Mountain Range in Mm -hmm. Australia called the Great Dividing Range, um, were a separate species, um, hmm. from all the other variegated fairy wrens that were inland and that were on the other side of the mountain range. Hmm. And there was actually quite a rift uh, in terms of the genetics between these two populations. And so thus, earlier this year, um, some of the ornithological bodies, uh, global bodies, have decided that the species will be split in half. Um, All the birds on the eastern side of the mountains will be the variegated fairy wrens. And all the birds on the other side, to the west, inland, will be purple-backed fairy wrens. Okay. And so, thus, I had what we call in the bird-watching world an armchair tick. Essentially, I sat at home and I have another species on my life list because I saw this animal in both places. Yeah. Technically seen both species, but at the time which I saw them, they were both one species. Right, right, right. Um, Yeah. So now I've got an extra bird on my list. Um and now it's it's been confirmed that there's two separate species. Now with this purple back fairy wren there's still a bit more debate. It's called a it's considered a polytypic species. Mm-hmm. So that means that there are actually further plumage or or different type of diversity characteristics within the species uh that gets divided up in the subspecies. So there's still the potential for this purple back fairy wren. To be split in even more species, if further analysis allows.
0: Oh, cool! Well, I mean, genetics has has really helped us quite a bit, you know, as far as you know.
1: Oh, it's changed taxonomy immensely. It Uh, it messes up all the textbooks people have. (laughs) As soon as you buy a textbook with uh, genetic analysis, it's it's out of date in five years. Oh, yeah!
0: Like all my textbooks from college are are so long. Uh, It's like last century science almost in genetic field. You couldn't yeah. keep up with it. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. The, um, no, I mean, just like, you know, the, the tapalui orangutan,
1: you know, mm, they just yes, identified yeah. those
0: guys as, as a separate species due to DNA. Um, uh, just last, this week we covered the camels, the Bactrian camels. DNA mm. evidence again has shown the wilds are completely different than the domestics. So yeah, the genetics is, it's amazing where, where we've gone yeah, with yeah. it.
1: So these animals are in front of us all the time we just don't realize how diverse they really are until we start looking a bit deeper.
0: Yeah. And I wanted to ask you a couple of questions real quick.
1: Uh-huh. What is the most
0: obscure bird that you want to see? And what is, besides oh. these fairy wrens, what is the, the one bird that you were just like, wow, when you saw it?
1: All right. The most obscure bird, uh, it belongs in its own family. There's only two species like it. They're found in, um, very remote part of Africa they're called a rock fowl okay um they're very very hard to find I would probably end up spending a few thousand dollars if not more trying to put together a trip just to see this one species mm-hmm. so that's probably the most obscure bird um that is on my wish list to see okay. one day and they're absolutely fantastic birds if you get a chance to look them up okay um and what was the second question?
0: So what's the one bird you've seen that was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe I saw that?
1: Oh, well, there's actually a handful of that. Uh-huh. But the one that probably took the most effort the first time I saw it and I was just taken aback was the albatross. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I lucked out. I was traveling around Australia on this little side trip I was doing, and I happened to check into this hostel and the the woman checking me in said, "Oh, what are you here for?" I'm like, "Oh, I'm just bird the area. She's like, "Oh, are you taking the boat tour tomorrow?" And I'm thinking, boat tour. Wait a minute, we're <laughs> yeah. right next to the ocean. This yeah, is a magic yeah, yeah. trip. And she's like, "Oh, there's a whole heap of guys here that are going on this boat tomorrow." And she put me in contact with one of them, and sure enough, they had a spot left on the boat. Oh, that's awesome! And so I paid out my five six hundred dollars, however much it was. It was not money I really could afford at the time, yeah, but I. Yeah. The, the, the thought of going on a boat into the pelagic waters of Australia, I don't yeah. think I'd have another opportunity because right, this was right. a hard boat to get on. Everybody wanted to be on this boat. And I got out there and we saw four species of albatross. And so oh, this yeah. is in my mind, everything I'd heard about albatross, they're only really far out at the sea. They're really hard mm. to get out there. You got to go on these little, really long boat trips. And here I was just thrown into this adventure at the last minute. Mm. And I finally got to see this bird that I thought I would never see in my entire life not yeah. realizing I would move to New Zealand and you can see them from the beach. But, I know. <laughs> but the uh, time, just yeah. having them. Yeah, and they the the way they go out there and search for the, the birds is that um they take a bunch of um, fish guts, essentially, mm. that fishermen have left over and they just toss the fish guts off the side of the boat uh, waiting for these birds to come in and they'll come in and and, and eat these uh, fish leftovers. Right, and so right. you have this bird that's essentially the size of me Mm-hmm. Um just sitting in the water right off the boat and it's it's just incredible amazing, how close yeah, you yeah. can get to them and how amazing they are and how beautiful they are when they fly and yeah, yeah that's that's probably yeah that's Yeah, I know that's that's definitely on
0: our list. Uh we'll we'll definitely cover them at some point.
1: I need to get yeah. you on a boat soon. I know, plenty I, know of them I know around I know. New Zealand. I
0: know. I know. I definitely. Well, I want to see the emperor penguin in Antarctica, so you know.
1: Wow, that's a trip to take. <laughs>
0: yeah. I'll, I'll have to get down there one day.
1: Yeah, that's a lot of snowshoe walking. Yeah. yeah. So,
0: anyways, real quick. So, I found, and I thought this was perfect. That went with what we talked about last week. Uh In China, these giant salamanders, and basically, I talked about last week. All right. Yeah. The the locals there are eating them to extinction. Well, comes to find out, there's actually five different species of these giant salamander. No way. Just this week, yeah, just this week in current biology yeah yeah that is not one species, but at least five. These things can weigh more than sixty kilograms. That's like a yeah. 130 pounds. It think's huge. It's essentially enormous? a
1: salamander the size of a small human. It's
0: yeah, they're yeah. huge. My kids aren't <laughs> even that big. Oh yeah. my God, they're enormous, but yeah they they these salamanders are in the three primary rivers in China. They're stuck in these river systems. So, you know, I, and even with the Yangtze River dolphin, you know, the mm-hmm. pollution, the, mm-hmm. the damming up, all the things that's happening there. So, you know, China's got a, a, a big uphill climb, uh, with protecting wildlife in wild places. But, you know, these ones all of, now that there's five. Yeah. So I'm sure they're all critically endangered, if not more so
1: yeah, yeah.
0: now. Uh, I know some of the, the species, they can't even find them. Mm. So, you know, it's this luxury food that people eat, and they're just going to eat them into extinction. But, you know, I thought it was interesting that they now, again, like you said, DNA analysis, and they're able to identify five different ones yep. uh, when they thought there was only one. Yeah. So – Anyways, you know, that's kind of what was going on this week in conservation. In some of the big stories. Jesse, thanks for for filling
1: in again. Oh, uh, no worries, mate, anytime.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I will, you know, I'll will talk to Angie and see, you know, cuz she's busy with the kids and everything else. Yeah, so, yeah. who
1: who you do know, I send you... the invoice to?
0: <laughs> her, her.
1: her? All right, I'll send it to Angie. <laughs> Gainesville, Florida.
0: Yeah, go, go send it send it off to uh, back home uh, to her. Yeah, no, maybe maybe I'll get an episode where it's just you and her talking. It'll oh, that would be interesting good. for me. Yeah, to, yeah, 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 Give you a yeah break. I'll throw it out to her. Yeah. yeah, I'll throw it out to her and see what she says. You know. <laughs> um, but anyways, thanks, thanks, mate, and I'll uh, I'm sure I'll see you in a couple days. Sounds good, dude. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us and uh, take care. Be, uh, for the listeners, stay tuned. Next week, uh, another species. We actually have a really good interview. i uh, are excited for ne- for next week. It's going to be really great. We'll be back next Friday uh, with more news. So take
1: care.